welcome to the Inner Healing Academy. I'm Kim Benson, and today I'm honored to have Dr. Will Tuttle back with me again. Last month, we spoke about the vegan diet and the implications that has for our health, the environment, and the animals. And today we're going to take the conversation a little deeper and look at some of the other lifestyle implications that are inherent in veganism. But before we get into all of that, I'm going to read a short bio for those of you who may not yet be familiar with Dr. Tuttle's work. So Dr. Tuttle has been a vegan since 1980 and is a frequent radio, television and online presenter. He has created several wellness and advocacy training programs and has been featured in Cowspiracy and other documentary films. He is the author of The World Peace Diet, which has now been translated into 17 languages. And he's also the editor of Buddhism and Veganism, which is a collection of essays on spiritual awakening and animal liberation. Dr. Tuttle is a former Zen monk with a PhD from the University of California, Berkeley. Since 1985, Dr. Tuttle has delivered an unparalleled 4,000 plus live audience presentations, encouraging compassion and vegan living in over 50 countries and in all 50 US states. And I'm going to put links to Dr. Tuttle's publications, his book and his website in the description below. So do be sure to check that out. And if you haven't yet read The World Peace Diet, I really encourage you to do so. It is a life-changing book. It is a must read. Okay, so welcome, Dr. Tuttle. I'm really honored to have you back. And as I say, we're going to deepen our conversation today, looking at some more of the lifestyle implications of veganism. And I thought maybe just to set the scene here, I would start off with a quote from Donald Watson, who was the first person to coin the term vegan way back in 1944. So this is what he had in mind. So I'll just read that out. Um, he said, the word veganism denotes a philosophy and a way of living which seeks to exclude, as far as is possible and practical, all forms of exploitation of and cruelty to animals for food, clothing, or any other purpose, and, by extension, promotes the development and use of animal-free alternatives for the benefit of humans, animals, and the environment. So as we can see, veganism is all encompassing. It is truly a holistic lifestyle. So Dr. Tuttle, can you share with us how this lifestyle might manifest itself other than via the diet? Thank you so much, Kim. And thanks everyone for participating in this discussion, which I think is really essential because what we're looking at here essentially is the most critical impact that we're having on our own health, the health of our society, health of our planet, and it's animal agriculture, really, uh, more than anything else, uh, is devastating to our physical health, and as well as, I think, our psychological and environmental and cultural health and spiritual health. And so usually when we think about animal agriculture, we're thinking about food. And that's good because probably about 98 to 99% of the violence and killing of animals by human beings 
is the, through the food industry. Uh, so that's really what most people think of when we think of veganism or vegan living, as you said, with Donald Watson. Uh, we are thinking about not eating meat, dairy products, and eggs primarily. However, it's very important, I think, to understand that veganism is a, a lifestyle, a, li a way of living. And I'm inspired by the root of the word diet, which comes from an, an old Greek word, uh, which actually means way of living. So this is the world peace way of living, I think. Or the, uh, ahimsa is another word. It means nonviolent. It's a nonviolent way of living. And the other thing I think it's important to do is to really expand the word animals when Donald Watson says to, in the uh, definition of veganism, to try to minimize cruelty to an exploitation of animals, to recognize that we human beings are also animals, mammals. And so ve as vegans, our life, from my point of view, is very much about compassion for all of creation, for all of the web of life, for all animals and ecosystems, and also hum the human beings in our lives, our relationships. So that's, so it's really a two-step process in my view. So that the, the obvious step that most people take is when they say, I'm going vegan, or I went vegan, or, or my friend Sarah went vegan, uh, they're saying she stopped eating meat, dairy products, and eggs, and, and honey, maybe. You know, that's kind of what most people think. So it's important, I think, to expand that to include uh, all purchases, essentially, to try to do the best we can. We're not, we can't probably ever be totally perfect in this because animals are exploited in countless ways, but to minimize as much as possible, as he says, as far as possible and practicable, all forms of exploitation of and cruelty to animals for food, clothing, or any, any other purpose. So to look at, for example, uh, the things we buy for cleaning, for uh, personal care, there's so many animal uh, testing, much animal testing and animal products in clothing that we're wearing, for example. So all these different areas uh, are affected, and a lot of animals do suffer for, uh, for this. Plus, the human animals, especially our own uh, body, uh, is very strongly affected by these products. So this two-step process, I'll just say here in the beginning, is to expand out of just the narrow definition of vegan living of food and expand it to include all of our purchases to try to minimize violence to animals. Animals are also used in t testing of, of drugs and pharmaceuticals as well as lots of you know, beauty, so-called beauty and personal care products. So to do the best we can to buy products that are certified as vegan when they did not uh, engage in animal testing to try to minimize the amount of violence towards these animals as a statement. Yeah. And beyond that, one more thing I'll say, and then we can maybe uh, talk about this more later, mm -hmm. is then to include even bigger, uh, uh, a bigger picture, which is our relationships with other human beings and how we can really, in a sense, structure our life and our daily uh, ways of living and attitude to be a blessing as much as possible to indigenous people, to hungry people, to the people uh, in jobs around us, in society around us, to the people close to us and our families, friends, neighbors. Mm -hmm. The basic idea with veganism is love. <laughs> That's mm -hmm. really what it boils down to. It's love. Uh, ahimsa means nonviolence, but nonviolence is really kindness, benevolence, goodwill, tenderness, mercy, compassion, 
empathy, you know, all of these words. So it's for every being who can experience suffering to try mm -hmm. the best we can to be an agent of kindness and love and to minimize the uh, abuse that our actions would cause to others if it's not necessary. Yes, yes. So you've, you've touched there on the cosmetic industry a little, and I know that huge strides have been made in this area in recent years. A lot of companies now are not um, testing on animals, but I was doing a little research on this just recently, and I noticed that there are still 30 or so companies that still do this, and some of them are very well-known brands, very well-known names. So it's really important for people who want to you know, be careful in this area that they do check the labels and check out your brands and, and your companies just to see what's going on there, because that's the way they're going to get the message, isn't it? If we withdraw our purchasing power from these companies, then they'll get the message that we don't want this to happen anymore. Right, exactly. I think that's the key point is that uh, businesses really respond to customer uh, taking out their wallets and paying for things. <laughs> That's mm -hmm. our real power, boycotting, in a sense, uh, companies that continue to use animals in the production of their products or to test on animals in the production of their pro products and the development of their products mm -hmm. and to let them know why. You know, that's important. So as you say, uh, personal care products, cosmetic products, you know, shampoo, suntan lotion, all kinds of makeup, body creams, yeah. All these things, number one, very often they actually have animal products in them. Sometimes it's hard to, to know what they are. So it's good to get educated. A lot of the dyes that are used, for example, come from beetles or insects of various kinds. Uh, a lot of the uh, oils that, that can be used, uh, very often there's, there's um, bee, things from bees, bee propolis or something like that. And really, as mm -hmm. far as just say briefly, a lot of people think, oh, come on, don't, don't be extreme. Don't, you don't have to care about bees, for goodness sake. But really, I mean, bees are, from my point of view, extremely sophisticated animals at the very top of their evolutionary uh, pyramids in their, in their realm, yeah. and uh, extremely intelligent and sensitive, and they are being horribly abused by humans, and they're suffering terribly, and their populations are crashing, and they're these animals are really seriously abused. It's a, it's a whole other, maybe another, for another time, but I've done a lot of research into this and, and in de both industrialized scale and even smaller scale, there's a lot, just a massive amount of killing and exploitation and, and violence towards these animals, which is really not necessary. We, it's really important, I think, for us to try to live in harmony with nature. So uh, one of the things that we discover, I, I think, really, which is wonderful, is that there are companies that are very sensitive to these uh, concerns and are making products that, uh, for example, to put on our skin that don't test on animals and that also are not harmful to us. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's important to do the research, really. And uh, one, one guideline, though, basically is if you wouldn't eat it, don't put it on your skin, quite honestly. Mm -hmm. And we've uh, in traveling, Madeline and I, over the last... 35, 40 years all over the United States and so forth. We've stayed in a lot of people's houses who are vegans mm -hmm. and we always eat vegan food together. But I do have to say that when, very often when I am in the bathroom and I open the cabinet, I, I'm shocked very often to see what, what people are putting, what they're using for shampoo mm -hmm. or soap or laundry detergent, you know, all these things. Um, there's, there's fragrances, for example. The word fragrance, mm -hmm. when it's used in a product, 
it can be anything. That, that word fragrance is a placeholder. It could be a hundred different chemicals. It could be toxic chemicals. It could be derived from animals. It could be tested on animals. And you would never know, basically, mm -hmm. because um, there are laws that are, have been passed, uh, especially in the United States, to just completely uh, allow um, that to happen, that, that companies do not have to disclose under using words like flavorings and fragrance. That can be 50 things, 100 things, and you don't know what it is. They don't have to tell you. And they can be very toxic. It can be flame retardants, uh, all kinds of things that uh, are, are toxic. So there's really uh, not this, we have to get over this idea that the government and the agencies are protecting us and we can just buy whatever we want because uh, every, everything is well uh, supervised. It's not that way at all. And in fact, the same companies very often that are selling these the chemicals into these products are also making the pharmaceutical chemical drugs when people get cancer or other autoimmune diseases they make money on that so they're they're incentivized to actually make people as sick as possible mm -hmm. uh, that's how they make more money it's the same companies they're all working together so the main thing to understand in, in, in conclusion here is that our use of animals as we exploit them, we end up ourselves getting exploited. We end up ourselves very often being uh, the ones who end up in the hospital because of chemicals that we're using or foods that we're eating. Uh, these are all tested on animals and these animals suffer ter terribly. I mean, these substances are put into their eyes, they're forced, they're injected into them, they're forced to eat them until, until they die, basically to see how toxic they are. and so the best thing I think for us, as much as possible, is to do the research uh, ourselves and uh, don't trust necessarily governmental agencies to do that for us. So don't trust that they have our best interests at heart or the animals' best interests at heart. Do our own research and, yeah, really check things out. Yeah, really great point there. So moving on to um, thinking in terms of our choice of clothing and accessories and perhaps home furnishings, how will that be impacted by veganism? That's a good point. You know, one of the things that people don't understand, I think, really is leather. Uh, a lot of people think that, oh, leather, there's nothing wrong with leather because leathers, you know, people are going to eat animal foods, they're going to eat meat, and so there's going to be cows and pigs and other animals. So uh, the leather is just a byproduct. I'm not hurting an animal, and the leather is just the skin of the animal. So, but the, the fact is that the uh, margins of profit for these uh, companies, the animal agriculture companies, the food companies, and the, the um, slaughterhouses and so forth. For food, it's pretty uh, narrow. They don't make a lot of money on, on meat. They make some, they obviously make some, but they make a lot more actually with the byproducts, especially leather. So, that, so leather is really a key uh, component of the profitability of the animal agriculture industry. So it really is important, I think, to refrain from buying leather. And in fact, of course, the question comes up, well, I've got leather shoes, and I've got leather couch, and I've got leather this and that. I'm going vegan. What do I do? <laughs> so again, that's a, that's a personal uh, choice that you can make. I think uh, what we most people end up doing, and I did myself, is sort of gradually 
giving these things away, letting them go. Some people bury them with a, with a little ceremony in honor of the animal. Some people give it to, good, to goodwill or, or to some charity for homeless people to use. Um, but those, those kinds of things, leather products, wool is another thing. A lot of people think, oh, wool, nothing's wrong with wool because the sheep, have, you know, they have all this wool. But you got to remember, if you look deeply into this, these sheep are bred uh, to give have a lot more hair than they normally would. And so they're miserable because of that very often. And then they're sheared in a very rough way. And then they're killed much uh, younger than they would be for meat. So there's a lot of killing involved and, and, and again, impregnating the female against her will on the rape rack. And that's part of the wool industry. So uh, there's violence in these things. And I think, uh, again, there, you know, it's, it's just better uh, for the, for, I think for the environment, for animals and for ourselves, not to support these industries. Mm -hmm. And uh, so uh, leather, wool, silk is another one. People are probably aware mm -hmm. of that they boil the silkworms to death. There is uh, ahimsa silk, which is recycled silk or silk that they somehow use, I think in India, where they don't have, they let the silkworm out somehow and then they use the silk. So uh, again, the problem with, um, with ahimsa silk or with faux wool or faux leather is that they really look like regular leather, regular wool, regular silk very often. And then people think that, you know, we're eating uh, animals or we're using, we're, you know, using these products. And so personally, I tend to stay away from faux leather myself because I, it just seems to be uh, supporting the idea that we should be using the skins of the animals. So mm -hmm. all of these products, down is another one, the feathers of these animals. It's, if you do any research into it, it's heartbreaking what, how these animals suffer by having their feathers pulled out. Uh, it's really uh, quite a lot of exploitation, you know, it's really serious, uh, really torturing of the animals and exploiting them for these products mm -hmm. to make money. So uh, to find alternatives to those as best we can, Again, it takes research to do this. Uh, we think it's good to recycle uh, clothing products and maybe buy them at a secondhand store or something like that, or just buy the cloth itself if possible. Organic, I think, is really important if possible, and make them ourselves. Madeline, my wife, is really great with a sewing machine and also with uh, knitting needles and makes a lot of the things that I wear and she wears. And uh, just from scratch, just, you know, just buy cloth or buy yarn. You can buy, you know, non-wool yarn of various kinds. You can buy sugarcane and bamboo and cotton and flax and hemp. And there's quite a few different things uh, nowadays that you can buy that are alternative. Acrylic, of course, is another option. But um, th just to try to get away from and be creative. And then, of course, there's an awful lot of slavery, human slavery, in the clothing industry. There's a lot of human slavery in the chocolate industry. So... You know, we in the fishing industry, quite a few of these different industries. So, again, we try not to buy products that involve human trafficking, human slavery, or or the uh, abuse of people. So, again, that that means uh, doing some research. But basically, you can buy fair trade. We try to buy. If we are buying things, uh, there's there's a there's a not. You can buy organic, and you can buy fair trade food and clothing products. Organic mm -hmm. cotton, organic hemp, organic uh, linen, uh, shirts, pants, skirts, and so forth, clothing. Uh, fair trade, I think, is really helpful, so we're not 
Mm -hmm. uh, contributing to, to the violence against human beings, which is part of the vegan ideal. So all these things, uh, and again, with furniture, it's the same thing. And one of the things that this kind of ties into is minimalism, really. And just mm -hmm. the idea of not buying so much, you know, just buying less stuff um, and learning to live in perhaps in a different way. I've been very inspired personally by my time living in Asia where they don't really have furniture much. You know, they, you sit on the floor, you may have a little table, you sleep on the floor, everything's on the floor. <laughs> so for the last 50 years, I haven't really had much furniture. I mean, I have a piano, but other than that, you know, Madeline and I, we have very simple uh, cotton um, cushions that we sit on the, and we sit on the floor mm -hmm. and we eat on the floor. We have low tables that I made out of wood, scrap wood and things. Mm -hmm. So the whole idea of just recycling and using things and not, and, and, Getting sitting on the floor is fantastic. I mean, a lot of people have chronic back pain because of sitting in chairs with legs dangling down, and we're in these strange positions. We're up. We want to. We're afraid of being close to the earth, for example, in our society. And mm -hmm. I found early on when I was just in my early twenties, way back when, that learning to doing some yoga and loosening up my my leg joints and so forth and back and sitting on the floor is a wonderful way to be. I sit for hours on the floor typing at my computer, writing, reading, eating meals, whatever we're doing, we're always on the floor. Mm -hmm. And it just doesn't take a lot of furniture. And it's very simple. It's aesthetic. And um, so there's lots of things like that we can begin mm -hmm. to question. We don't need to have gigantic uh, living room suites full of all kinds of furniture and these high beds that filled with, you know, you know, 20 pillows and all these things. <laughs> yeah. you know, something simpler. Uh, can very often uh, actually be a statement um, that we can make uh, with our lives. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what's coming over to me listening to you speak here is, uh, you know, the the ethical um, implications of all of this, and it's really living an ethical lifestyle, thinking about. Um, what you do, how that is impacting another who may be, you know, in a different land, in a foreign land, um, like you say, in a sweatshop or something. But it's, it's being mindful of those things, not just going out and buying something off, off the peg and not giving it a second thought beyond, you know, it looks nice, it looks pretty, so I'll have it. You know, doing just delving a little deeper, you know, where did this come from? What, what did it take to, to create this? Was, did anybody suffer as a result of this? It's, it's thinking like that, isn't it? It's getting into this way of thinking. Exactly. I think that's really it. You know, we have this, this feeling that we have these evil corporations that don't care and they just buy things, they just exploit. But actually, and that's, that is happening, they, you know, polluting the earth and you know, abusing workers and so forth. But as consumers... We can, have, we can be the same way. We can think, well, I've got the money. I'm just going to buy something. I'm just going to buy it. I don't care who, who, you know, who suffers. I'm just going to do that. that that's a, like predatory. There's predatory corporate behavior. There's predatory consumer behavior. And as consumers, mm -hmm. we can, in a sense, be predatory. We can be you know, just attacking ecosystems, wasting water and land and petroleum resources and causing a lot of violence towards animals and, mm -hmm. and other beings. Uh, without realizing it, because we're we're not taught in our society to feel sensitive, sen in, you know, in a sensitive way uh, of how our, our lifestyle impacts others. You know, I remember seeing at one point in my life this big Cadillac driving along a road. I happened to see it 
and hit a squirrel. This car hit a squirrel and just squashed the squirrel. I mean, killed the squirrel. But that big car, it didn't even, they didn't even know what happened. They didn't even know what happened. They, it's just like totally insulated. And we get so insulated, unfortunately, in our society from the impacts of our choices. Uh, and, we, and, that's, and it's by design, I think. We don't want, we, the slaughterhouses are far away. The, 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 um, the, the kids that are chained to their looms in Pakistan making rugs, for example, uh, that we buy, that are very inexpensive. We can buy a, a Persian carpet or an Oriental carpet for only a couple hundred dollars, but there's a huge amount of slavery in that. But that's far away. We don't see it. And nobody wants to talk about that. So I think it's really important to get educated. And that means to be proactive, not to be critical, but just to understand. Because there are many forces in the world that don't want us to understand. So when we understand, then we can make better choices. And I think ultimately, we're much happier. We, we don't have a burden we're not afraid to know we don't we're not going around thinking oh don't tell me i don't want to know don't tell me i don't want to know i just want to enjoy this <laughs> mm -hmm. you know they, that old saying we don't want to know how the hot dog is made mm -hmm. you know that's really true so I, mean, I wouldn't be able to enjoy the hot dog the sausage so the idea is to really find out you know how these things are made what's what is actually in the, the products that we're that we're eating get educated there's some wonderful resources on the internet we can uh we can use to dig deeper and find out and it's all i think very empowering because our, we just get feel healthier and we feel more connected i think really to our life when we do that mm. yeah so because uh, the you know the governments and the large corporations are not particularly looking out for our best interests then we do have to do our own research as we said before and education is so so vital in this area because there's so much that we, we we're not even aware of you know um you know, I've, I've bought many things that I know now I, I, I wouldn't buy now, um, but just because I, I simply wasn't aware and I needed to take the trouble and the time to delve into these things. And that's and that's what we need to do. So education is really key. So there's a lot to learn and um, we need a great deal of determination, I guess, in order to follow through with this lifestyle, especially in a world that's constantly advertising at us, bombarding us night and day with adverts, offering us poor choices. So what tips and tricks do you have <laughs> that you could share with us that would, would help us in this situation that we find ourselves in? It's not easy. Always. Thank you. Right. Yeah. Thanks, Kim. You know, that's a great question. How do we actually have the energy and uh, to persevere in the face of all this? A lot. I, I've seen it. We, sometimes when we talk about this in a workshop, somebody will just say, all right, this is just too much trouble. I've got three kids and I can't, I don't have the time to read the ingredients of things. You know, they, people easily feel overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to basically take it a step at a time. You know, start with the big things, start with the food, for example. I mean, getting the food dialed in is really important. So you're eating uh, organic um, plant-based whole foods. That's a wonderful foundation. And then move from there into what, what am I putting on my skin? What's in tanning cream, sunscreen or what's in this makeup and what's in the shampoo? Uh, there's the fragrances and things in the clothes and then begin to look at furnishings and begin to look at clothing and you know, just keep, keep re refining. I mean, I, you know, it's true. I mean, Madeline and I have been vegans for a long time, since 1980. So we've had many years, decades to to sort of let this whole thing percolate. But I think the, um, the beauty is that as we let this percolate in, in through our life, 
uh, we connect more and more deeply, I think, with this sense of being interconnected with others. And this is a beautiful thing. So this is a, a main tip or trick I would suggest is just uh, to realize, first of all, that if I'm 99% committed to this, it's very difficult. It really is difficult. If we're not really committed, uh, the universe will give all kinds of distractions and difficulties will come up and they'll think, oh, maybe I should just buy this. It has a little honey in it. All right. But as soon as we get 100% committed and just say, okay, I'm just really going to go for it, do the best I can to be an agent of minimizing violence uh, in my life. And um, it's like, it, to me, it's like the universe just starts opening doors. We, I start to meet people. I book, a book will come my way. I learn about it. It's really a, a question of just deciding, having a feeling that resonates, that this is wonderful. It's a very positive contribution I can make with my life. Our lives are pretty temporary, really. We're not here that long. We're here for a few decades. Do we really want to be here and be an agent of violence and abuse, just kind of continuing the cultural program? Or do we want our life to be uh, an expression of uh, taking a stand for kindness and caring and, and awareness. And what I found is the universe actually supports us in that. And it's a weird thing. It's not, it sounds kind of like, uh, like uh, kind of a, uh, like how does that really work? Sort of like a magic or something. But I think there is a certain quality uh, of life. You know, we've, we've basically through animal agriculture, we have disenchanted the world, right? They, the world, it's the beautiful world of nature and animals and of ourselves and children. Uh, I think there's a certain sense of enchantment, a certain sense of beauty and magic, really, the, the possibilities of our life. And through animal agriculture and materialism and sort of the scientific materialism, that's all been stripped away. And we look at everything with this cold, hard eye of how much does it cost and what can I get out of it and, and um, how does it affect you know, me and other people. But to try, try to enter into a spirit of joy and love and creativity when we do this, that we're committed to love and being creative and trying new things and, you know, try, just trying out new ways of new types of clothing, new, new types, new menus of food, new ways of presenting ourselves in the world, right? You know, being willing to just be a little different, not feeling like we have to conform. Everyone is using that kind of makeup or wearing that kind of perfume and we've been advertised that that's what we need to get ahead in the world. Mm. We really want to climb that ladder and pay the, and, and get up on that, uh, on that ladder when we spot all these people and animals on the way up. Uh, we have, you know, I think this is the thing. It's to really do some deep inner work. Uh, that's the best thing. And get in touch with our values and let those values be expressed in the little things. It's really in the little things, in the little things we do in our life. And doing things with love, like if I buy something that uh, yeah, I know is organic and so forth, uh, it, we, we'll tend to take better care of it. When we hang it up, we'll, we'll really hang it up carefully. We'll honor it. We'll respect it. Maybe it's more expensive, you know. So then it's good in a way. I mean, then we we really don't we really don't have to think, oh, I'll just throw it away and get another one. You know, we live in we live in this throwaway society where we buy we just buy things as inexpensively as possible, and very often those are the junkiest things. Mm. We're wasting resources so much. So we try to really buy, in a sense, more expensive things if they're well made, and if they're more in alignment with organic and fair trade and all that. It's a donation that we make. 
It's a gift. We don't think, oh, God, that's too expensive for me. It's a donation. And the, and the thing is, the more we donate, the more we give generously, the more it comes back. It'll, it comes back in financially, comes back in just quality of life and joy and relationships. It does come back. This is a fundamental universal principle. Mm -hmm. So it's really important, I think, to support people who are trying to create beauty and do it in a way that's sustainable, that's not wasting resources, that make quality products that will last a long time. You know, the Buddhist tradition that I spent so much time in, you don't waste anything. If you take a little bit of water, you don't take more than you need out of, even if, the, even if it's a stream, you think, well, I'm not gonna take more than I need. <laughs> you know, because the whole idea is to respect everything. And, it, and you could never throw away any food in a Buddhist monastery. When I was in, a, in the Zen monastery in Korea, we took them out of food and wherever we took, we had to eat. You, you, can't, you can't like say, well, I'm not gonna eat that. You know? But in, I, we, come to, we go to restaurants here, we go to dining rooms here and people th throw away half the food. Yeah. They're throwing away precious, there's this sense of disrespect of just willingly waste, mm -hmm. wasting things. Mm -hmm. uh, clothing, you know, like the, the Buddhist robes, the whole idea, the, high, the more enlightened, the more conscious person you can tell because they have the, the most ragged robe. <laughs> they have, their robe is one that's been recycled and reused and they've mended it a hundred times. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, that's considered uh, much more uh, venerable than some, wearing something that's kind of showy and new. So the whole idea, I think, is to, to learn to honor um, those things that have character. And, and depth and substance and that uh, come from a tradition of honoring nature and not wasting things, not just commercializing products and trying to sell as much as you can because that's what's destroying our planet. And we, we kill animals and, we, and it's terrible. I mean, really, when you think about it, we kill these, uh, a chicken and then, and then people um, order some chicken wings and they eat one and throw away four in the trash. So this poor, this poor animal lived through misery and hell and then her body is just thrown away because people, oh, I don't, I, I'm like, ah. mm -hmm. they think it's better to throw it away. So the whole idea in all of this is to minimize our impact and there's a joy in that, a tremendous liberation in that. Actually. Minimize our impact upon, upon the planet and yeah, to, to tread gently, you know, in terms of live yeah, gently, like, like mm -hmm. we're not live gently, not 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 throwing away a lot of, of things in the landfill, and the, you know, and and uh, how to recycle as much as we can. Yeah, yeah, you make some very good points there. Excellent. Um, perhaps we can just speak briefly about the the planet. Because I, I know that scientists are telling us that we're now in the in the midst of the sixth mass extinction that this planet has ever faced, you know, in the whole of the history. And we've we've lost so many creatures over the last 20 to 30 years, more than ever, ever in the total history of the planet. So it's really moved very rapidly recently, the destruction that, that we're wreaking upon the planet, chopping down the forest and so on. And there are those that are of the opinion that it's really too late now to turn around. We do hear, you know, doom and gloom in this respect from some quarters. 
Um, what are your views on that? If we do choose to live more gently and we do choose to go the vegan route in all ways, not just the diet, but the other aspects that we've been speaking of as well, do you think it's possible that we could see regeneration of the planet and how, how might that look? Right. Well, that's a really important question. And I, I, and I agree that from a certain basic perspective, the momentum and the inertia of the way we're treating the planet, uh, which is based on animal agriculture and just using and killing animals and ecosystems for profit, basically. And as the population continues to grow and people have more income to spend and so forth, uh, that it doesn't look very uh, promising in the future. But I do think that there is a momentum building of people waking up and realizing that actually it's much healthier to eat lower on the food chain. It's, it's 12 to 1. It takes 12 times as much land to feed someone eating a standard Western diet as someone eating uh, a plant, whole food plant-based diet. So we can really massively reduce our environmental impact through changing our food choices and these other things we're talking about so that we could allow the rivers and oceans and forests to heal and to regenerate and habitat for animals to come back again. Because basically the, the, the sixth extinction that you're talking about is driven uh, a little bit by hunting and, and you know, sort of killing animals to extinction, but mostly it's by just destroying habitat. This habitat's being wiped out. Oceans are being completely overfished. Rainforests are being cut down to grow genetically engineered soy to feed the imprisoned pigs and cows and factory farm fishes. And so all of this uh, is based on a delusion that we are separate from nature and that somehow we can dominate and exploit this earth and be healthy ourselves. And that we're learning that that's absolutely not true. So I think perhaps uh, the old saying is that we have to hit bottom before we actually change. So it may get quite a bit worse um, in terms of health. We see, you know, pandemics spreading and um, disease and, and fear and all these things. And um, well, I think a lot of people are really starting to question many things, questioning governments, questioning the medical industry, uh, questioning the financial industries and uh, questioning food. Uh, we have to question everything, question ourselves, really, how we're living, what our values are. For, and um, I think there's a, I mean, the, the good news is that if we human beings would actually move away from animal agriculture and toward veganism as a way of life, massive positive healing forces would be unleashed that we can't hardly even imagine. It's so beautiful to think about, really. I mean, when you think about the fact that right now, vegans are probably only one or two or 3% of the population, but the other 97%, they all know what it means. They all know what veganism is. I mean, when I, when I went vegan 40 years ago, nobody even knew what the word was. <laughs> you know, so we've made a lot of progress in just 40 years. So everybody's aware of it and more, and especially young people, I've, I've read as much as half of young people are identifying that they either vegan or they want would like to be vegan, right? So there's a big move uh, in just the awareness of this. And so when we think about the tremendous healing forces that would be unleashed, if people would start taking responsibility for the quality of their food, take responsibility for the quality of their health, and, their, and responsibility for the quality of all of their relationships, instead of just going to a doctor for a pill 
to actually say, I'm, I'm going to look at my food choices and my exercise levels and kind of food I'm putting on my skin, all these things, and, and the quality of my relationships. Because so many people are sick or miserable because they're in toxic relationships, which very often are uh, this anger and fear and competitiveness and so forth. Very often it comes from ourselves, really. And so we, it doesn't help to blame other people, to really try to be myself uh, a being of kindness and love and caring to others authentically. And I think as each one of us does the best we can to change the one being we can change, which is ourselves, and to make ourselves as much as possible an example of kindness and love to animals, to human beings, and to ecosystems, to minimize our negative impact, we will find our world just getting more and more beautiful. I mean, that's really what happens. You meet more and more beautiful people. Uh, we see in the beauty in, around us in nature more easily. Just to take time to connect with nature, to connect with our inner creative spark, to take time to nurture relationships that are positive, to take time to look in deeply into um, the products that we're buying and to uh, get information from uh, sources other than the mainstream media. I'm so glad that about 50 years ago, I stopped watching television. I have not watched television in 50 years. And uh, I went along with, I haven't had to go to a doctor also in 50 years. You know, I've stayed out of the medical establishment and out of these things. And just basically felt like the best thing is to just try to find out on my own through my own in intuition. So I think these are the kinds of uh, possibilities that we have. And when we envision that, as a collective, we can see we have a beautiful future because this earth is incredibly beautiful and incredibly abundant. We can easily feed everyone. We can easily feed, right now, no one who studies world hunger, they know we could easily feed 12 to 15 billion people. You know, we have seven, I mean, seven and a half billion is a lot of people, but we could feed a lot more than that. And if people really lived a lifestyle of kindness and concern. We don't know what the optimal uh, population on planet Earth of human beings is. If it's vegans, <laughs> you know, maybe, uh, maybe the number, the, the optimal number is 10 or 12 or 15 billion. You know, we don't know, but we could live in, in and still have huge amounts of, of wilderness if we were eating in that way in habitat. So mm -hmm. I think it's important to really question everything in the official narrative uh, about about everything and realize that it's, these underlying assumptions of violence and animal agriculture uh, in many ways pollute the, uh, the beautiful vision that we can have of a world of kindness and compassion. I think mm -hmm. the more each one of us can take responsibility for the food that we're eating and also to grow more food. Uh, farming mm -hmm. and, and agriculture is very sort of low status in our society. Farmers, you know, they, oh, that's kind of the low thing. If we, if we start thinking of farmers as like the very highest level, because <laughs> growing food for other people or for ourselves, that's an amazingly sacred thing, beautiful thing. Yeah. So they're the real doctors. You know, the people are creating healthy food. They should have higher status than doctors, really. And uh, so I think if we can, each one of us, do the best we can to start growing food wherever we are, sprouts in the kitchen or having a few vegetables, uh, maybe plant one uh, fruit tree, whatever we can do to begin to take responsibility and connect with the earth, compost everything, return all of our thing, you know, make, make a cycle, you know, have cycles of, like in our, in our household, we, we, we always compost, we recycle all the gray, all the water, all the gray water, everything, mm -hmm. put it back into the garden. 
and the more we recycle and create these cycles, we'll be part of the earth. And um, we can all do this. I mean, each one mm -hmm. of us in our own way can find ways to do this. Yeah. And I guess even those people who don't have land or even a garden, you can still get a lot of pleasure if you just grow some herbs on your windowsill or something like that. Just make a start. It's lovely to grow your own your own things. Yeah. And you know they're organic. And if you treat them with love, you'll get beautiful lush plants. Yeah. So that's lovely. Yeah. So perhaps just as we wrap up here, um, we can talk about um, consciousness a little bit because although we know we are physically separated the new science quantum physics teaches us that actually at the you know at the sub molecular level those particles sub subatomic level um, it's really just waves of energy and that we are all connected truly there in in consciousness we're really all one and obviously veganism understands that because it speaks about this holistic lifestyle and caring for, for all the people, all the animals, the whole of creation. It obviously does, does recognize this. So um, how will, when, when we know this, um, how will knowing this and living this truth actually impact our world? Well, that's you know, beautifully said, Kim. And the, the thing is, though, when we say we're all one or all life is one, most people, we don't know what the heck that means, really, unfortunately, because we're raised in the opposite mentality. We're raised to judge and blame and criticize and compete. And that's the kind of educational system we have. That's the kind of social institutions we have. So from my experience, it really takes a lot of effort um, of inner purification to actually understand what it means to say that we're all one, but it's worth it. <laughs> it's really worth it. You know, I mean, I've spent, You mean like a, a, medita a meditative practice? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I've spent thousands and thousands of hours in meditation practicing you know people i you know i go i travel around and play the piano and do concerts and people say oh it's so great you play so beautifully how do you how can, how can you play so beautifully it's practice right i mean i i spend probably thousands of hours at a piano too playing you know so so i can do it, it the problem is we're raised in a society where we're we're taught to practice the opposite of the kind of wisdom of of oneness or unity that we're talking about we're right we go to a, through an educational system that basically reduces our capacity to think clearly and critically and to open to our intuition or the inner wisdom inside of us. We're mm -hmm. taught to basically just trust outer authorities and try to please them. That's the, that's the educational system. You get all these different grades and degrees depending on how well you can fit into a, a little box and, and mm -hmm. show the people above you that you fit into this little box and you're very obedient and do whatever you're told and think in a certain way. That's not what it is to cultivate the kind of wisdom, compassion and awareness and consciousness that would can actually understand what it means to say all life is one. I mean, that's, that's enormously profound and to actually experience that is, is the amazing liberation. I mean, it liberates, we're liberated from a lot if we can actually understand that. 
Uh, but to do that, it takes it just takes a lot of work. I have to say, you know, it's one of those things. But the work is what else are we going to do? You know, <laughs> to take. I just want to encourage people to to really take time every day to sit in silence, to sit in silence and listen internally to your own consciousness, to connect, to listen and connect with the being that you are, the being that makes this possible. You know, we're taught in our society to identify with this, this you know, this piece of you know, flesh and bone and so forth. Mm-hmm. That is, that's a footprint in the Buddhist tradition, you know, that, if you see a footprint in the sand, you don't identify with the footprint. You, you know that George left that footprint. You know that's not George. That's, that's the footprint. This, this is a footprint waving right now. It's, you know you can't see the being. You can never see the being that's makes this possible. But that being is. But that's what we're called to do. We're called to see the being in the hamburger, or the being in the person across from us. Maybe in their outer body. Maybe they're having pain and sickness, and maybe they're angry. Whatever. Look beyond the outer appearance and see the being, the eternal, radiant, infinite expression of consciousness is, is, is right now is coming through that expression of life. And it's very hard to see it in someone else if we don't see it in ourselves first. Mm-hmm. So to take time every day to, to discover that inside ourselves and to reject the cultural program that we've all internalized that reduces us to a fear-based, reactive entity that is trying to survive in this world. It's, it's a tremendous violence and wounding that happens to all of us growing up here through the educational system, the religious system, many of the religious systems, the academic and governmental and economic, all these different systems, family systems very often in the same way. We just, we're unfortunately, in many ways, we're wounded and we're contracted and so what we're talking about with veganism is actually a tremendously expansive uh, awakening and healing of consciousness where we see other beings with kindness and respect, not as objects to be used. We see ourselves as a beautiful, eternal expression of life. And when we, and that we naturally then we begin to respect ourselves and then we respect others. I mean, this is, this is it. We're, mm-hmm. The whole world is a mirror. Mm-hmm. And if we continue to oppress animals, we're, we're going to be creating governments that oppress us. If we, if we turn animals into livestock, we're going to become livestock. And we're seeing these things playing out. So mm-hmm. calling right now is to understand what you're saying so well. Consciousness is fundamental. Consciousness mm-hmm. gives rise to everything. Mm-hmm. In a dream at night, you, in, in the dream, I mean, you all know this. Anyone who's in the dream, in, that, in your dream, in the middle of the dream, it's real. As real as this. I mean, in my dreams, it's full color. I can feel, I can fly, I can touch and fall and whatever. I mean, it's absolutely as real as this. Then we wake up and go, oh, it's just all in my mind. <laughs> right. Yeah. This is the same thing. It's an arising in our consciousness. We're raised in the most materialist society under the most materialist delusion in the history of the world. And that society is at the brink of suicide and ecocide. And it's because of the materialism that is rooted in animal agriculture and seeing other beings merely as pieces mm-hmm. of meat, and seeing ourselves as pieces of meat. Mm-hmm. So the greatest contribution we can make is to take time every day to question all of that throughout the day and to be quiet and listen and do something that helps to liberate our consciousness from that. And mm-hmm. it's practice. It's really practice. The veganism is a practice. 
it's an outer practice like we're talking about when I don't buy this and I don't, I won't go to a zoo. I won't go to a rodeo. I won't go to entertainment. I won't buy foods or, or products tested on animals that have animal products. Okay, that's great. Then even going deeper and seeing the infinite eternal life within all forms and, and bowing to that and respecting that and rejoicing in that, you know, rejoicing in the beauty of a flower or a squirrel or of our friends or ourselves and, and relishing or savoring, savoring the beauty around us. And I think if we can go through our life savoring the beauty of the infinite as it manifests through the temporal, mm. then we will have lived our life well because that way we can honor the infinite creative power, which is the source of our life, and honor the creation, honor this beautiful manifestation and be a force for healing rather than a force for causing more suffering and misery. And remember, we are eternal. So we're, when we leave this physical form, it's not over. We're gonna, we'll have another form and that we'll probably identify with, and, and we're going to keep learning. Until we get these lessons, we're, you know, we'll keep, we have to keep learning. So now or sooner or later, you got to get it. Yeah, yeah. So you make some uh, really great and pertinent points there. Such an important conversation to have, I think. Because um, as you as you rightly say, we can know that we're all one. The science says that, and we can we can know it intellectually. But to really know it, we need to have some experience of that. So having a meditative practice every day, or you know whatever fits in with somebody's lifestyle, if it's prayers or something. But it's 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 focusing inward, looking to the inner being, and making contact there as you say, with the silence, because, um, you know, the silence speaks with that inner voice. So, yeah, just so, so important. So thank you ever so much for bringing that forward. Yeah. Anyway, it's been a really wonderful conversation. Thank you ever so much for those important insights. I really appreciate that. And I'm sure that our viewers and listeners will too. So I just want to remind everyone that um, I am putting the link to Dr. Tuttle's website and book and publications in the description. So do please check that out. And I'm also going to put a link to a course that I've devised called Go Vegan Successfully. It comprises 12 lessons. It's for those who are really serious about making this dietary change. It goes into, you know, where will I get my iron? Where will I get my protein? My calcium, my vitamin B12, all of that is covered. And also some of the challenges that people face when trying to transition to a vegan diet, like for instance, social dining situations. What if I'm the only person in my family? How am I going to do it? So I cover all of that as well. So I'm going to put the link to that down below. And um, there's also the option for coaching on that. And I would be delighted to help anybody make this transition successfully. Okay, so thank you so much for being with us today. And thank you again, Dr. Tuttle. And um, we'll leave you now with love and with peace. Thank you. Bye.